I take refuge in the Buddha, the capacity for all of us to realize freedom and love. I take refuge in the Dharma, the path of truth that we walk together. And I take refuge in this Sangha community of hearts practicing together. Greetings, community. Those on Zoom, those on YouTube, those at the temple, Heart of Wisdom, has practitioners uh, sitting together and practicing Fusatsu. And I also know I talked to the abbot of Dharma Rain this week, and Dharma Rain Zen Center in Portland is also gathering tonight for their ceremony of repentance and renewal, Fusatsu. So all of you who are here tonight, thank you. It's a brave act to gather together and honestly, genuinely turn the light of awareness to reflect on this life, to really look at the places that we're stuck, the places where we're, our aspiration and our behavior, the way we show up in the world, um, don't meet. And to own that, honestly own that. Not from a place of criticism, not because we're bad, not because we need to be good, but because we care. I would like to uh, acknowledge the people whose once uh, lived on this land and care took this land the Chinook, the Kathlamet, the Cowlitz. And I'd like you f at home, if you know, uh, who once walked, lived, breathed on the lands where you sit, to take some time and acknowledge, thank, And while we do that, I also invite you to connect to the land itself, the earth, the grasses, trees, sky, Water, crickets, air, mycelium, heat, all animals, insects, all beings who share this land, this earth with us. The devas, the earth spirits, protectors, guides, and ancestors who share this life, this earth, 
with us. May we see and acknowledge our interconnection. May we live together in reciprocity and mutual respect. I also want to acknowledge tonight those who are in the streets, marching, walking, singing, sitting together with the movement for Black Lives, honoring and celebrating the life of Breonna Taylor in spite of a justice system that was unable to do so. American society and Buddhist sanghas across the country are grappling with the racist history of America, where genocide and slavery were the building blocks of our nation. And racism is institutionalized in the criminal justice system, in the schools, in our cities. It's sobering to name this, to name it. I think we all know the truth of it to some extent, but to look directly at it and acknowledge that this is a collective trauma that we were born into and in that we are implicated in. Everyone who lives here can feel it is affected in some way. James Baldwin says, history is not the past. It is the present. We carry our history with us. We are our history. If we pretend otherwise, we are literally criminals. I think we can resonate with a quote like this too. As the nation confronts hundreds of years of denial, and begins to ask the question again, what does a racially just society look like? The Zen community of Oregon is taking the steps towards organizational change by beginning a process of equity, diversity, and inclusion. We had a training this morning and someone mentioned, oh, I'm seeing it's all interconnected capitalism, economic injustice, racial injustice, patriarchy, sexism, homophobia, ableism, the mistreatment of animals, the earth heading into its sixth mass extinction due to human activity and lifestyle. These are the particular forms and shapes that Greed, anger, and ignorance have taken at this time and place. And so maybe perhaps it's possible to just look at the roots. All complicated systems of injustice boil down to these three poisons the Buddha taught. Greed, anger, and ignorance. And perhaps it's skillful to look at the systems themselves. Knowing that the root is greed, anger, and ignorance, we can still perhaps not see if we don't look directly. 
I want to say that Zen practice gives us the openness of heart to face the realities of the world and society. They, Zen practice gives us the openness of heart to face the realities of this life, the realities of impermanence, change, to feel though also the grief of a human heart, the times of rage, disappointment, fear. And Zen practice gives us the resilience to continue, to know that awakening is possible, to know that we are all interconnected to know that actually at the root of all beings is wholeness, goodness. Zen practice, could say, is awareness, compassion. Zen practice is the insight into no separate self. This insight is crucial. This insight is crucial. So before we, before I started talking, we sat together in silence. This silence is not the silence of being silenced, but we can become a deep refuge. This silence, this posture that we take when we sit in Zazen, where we're sitting upright, supported, completely supported by the earth, inhabiting the body, breathing fully, inhabiting the breath, reclaiming the body, reclaiming the breath, reclaiming our inner connection, reclaiming awareness, mindfulness, compassion. This is our intrinsic nature. This is the nature of the heart. Zazen allows us to go there, to go beyond. Maybe beyond isn't a great word because it's not necessarily about transcendence, but to be able to step back from the ways that the mind fights with itself, gets confused, and to be able to hold that with love, with compassion, with a willingness to actually look, we can begin to see that things aren't the way we thought they were. And this sense of a fixed self in here begins to dissolve, expand, 
And with that insight, even if it's just a taste for a moment, it allows us to take responsibility for the collective as interconnection without the selfish tendency to fall back in guilt and paralysis. We can see more clearly how we are responsible. So when we see and the more we see that we are a coming together of thoughts, opinions, beliefs, causes and conditions, we can also see that we are interconnected with all beings. We are part of this earth. We are part of this earth and part of this society. We shape and are shaped by society, so our practice matters, our state of mind matters, our thoughts matter, our actions matter, our intentions matter, have effect. Zen practice tends to emphasize meditation, and meditation is one aspect. Like I said, Zazen allows us to embody our lives and live into our insights. And this is important. It is the birthing grounds for an embodied, compassionate life. How our Zen practice fun functions, though, is crucial to what Dharma practice is all about. This functioning is our living. This functioning is our living. Dogen Zenji says, practice, awakening, and expression are simultaneous. And I think oftentimes we hear that and we reify a self, my practice, my awakening, my expression. But from deepest insight, there is no separate self. So this is about, always has been about, a collective awakening, a collective practice, a collective expression. And that's how we practice in the Zen tradition. We practice together. And when we can't gather together in person, we gather together on Zoom. And you can say, are we ever alone? Even if I'm sitting alone in my room, even those great masters, sitting zazen in a cave. If you're sitting with the insight that I am connected to all beings, that my practice is the bodhisattva vow together with all beings, you're never alone. Your practice touches everything. And this is the spirit of the precepts which we will take together shortly. The precepts allow us to reclaim our morality, our integrity. The precepts are so important in a world that's forgetting its morals. 
Like I said, they are an expression of our interconnection. They are facets of a jewel of what an awakened life looks like. They are reminders to look at all of the facets of the jewel of your life. Don't forget a single one. And it's crucial that we use this lens, that we find our moral compass, and that we take responsibility for our part, our parts in the systems of oppression and injustice that marginalize many and threaten life on earth. Thich Nhat Hanh was a visionary in this sense and rewrote the 14 precepts of their tradition. Fred Epsteiner, who is a friend of Hogan Roshi, uh, says this, the 14 precepts of engaged Buddhism are guidelines for anyone wishing to live mindfully. By developing peace and serenity through ethical and conscientious conscientious living, we can help our society make the transition from one based on greed and consumerism to one in which thoughtfulness and compassionate action are of the deepest value. These precepts acknowledge interconnection and are a call for collective liberation. I want to read them for you to reflect on personally as we transition to the Fusatsu ceremony. Do not, number one, do not be adulterous about or bound to any doctrine, theory, or ideology, even Buddhist ones. Buddha's systems of thought are guiding means. They are not absolute truths. Two, do not think the knowledge you presently possess is changeless absolute truth. Avoid being narrow-minded and bound to present views. Learn and practice non-attachment from views in order to be open to receive others' viewpoints. Truth is found in life and not merely in conceptual knowledge. Be ready to learn throughout your entire life and to observe reality in yourself and in the world at all times. Three, do not force others, including children, by any means whatsoever to adopt your views whether by authority, threat, money, propaganda, or even education. However, through compassionate dialogue, help others renounce fanaticism and narrowness. Four, this one I really love. Do not avoid contact with suffering or close your eyes before suffering. Do not lose awareness of the existence of suffering in the life of the world. Find ways to be with those who are suffering, including personal contact, visits, images, and sounds. By such means, awaken yourself and others to the reality of suffering in the world. Five, do not accumulate wealth 
while millions are hungry. Do not take as the aim of your life fame, profit, wealth, or sensual pleasure. Live simply and share time, energy, and material resources with those who are in need. Six, do not maintain anger or hatred. Learn to penetrate and transform them when they are still seeds in your consciousness. As soon as they arise, turn your attention to your breath in order to see and understand the nature of your hatred. Seven, do not lose yourself in dispersion and in your surroundings. Practice mindful breathing to come back to what is happening in the present moment. Be in touch with what is wondrous, refreshing, and healing both inside and around you. Plant seeds of joy, peace, and understanding in yourself in order to facilitate the work of transformation in the depths of your consciousness. Eight, do not utter words that can create discord and cause the community to break. Make every effort to reconcile and resolve all conflicts, however small. Nine, do not say untruthful things for the sake of personal interest or to impress people. Do not utter words that cause division and hatred. Do not spread news that you do not know to be certain. Do not criticize or condemn things of which you are not sure. Always speak truthfully and constructively. Have the courage to speak out about situations of injustice, even when doing so may threaten your own safety. 10. Do not use the Buddhist community for personal gain or profit or transform your community into a political party. A religious community, however, should take a clear stand against oppression and injustice and should strive to change the situation without engaging in partisan conflicts. 11. Do not live with a vocation that is harmful to humans and nature. Do not invest in companies that deprive others of their chance to live. Select a vocation that helps realize your ideal of compassion. 12. Do not kill. Do not let others kill. Find whatever means possible to protect life and prevent war. 13. Possess nothing that should belong to others. Respect the property of others, but prevent others from profiting from human suffering or the suffering of other species on earth. And 14. Do not mistreat your body. Learn to handle it with respect. Do not look on your body as only an instrument. Sexual expression should not take place without love and commitment. In sexual relationships, be aware of future suffering that may be caused. To preserve the happiness of others, respect the rights and commitments of others. Be fully aware of the responsibility of bringing new lives into the world. Meditate on the world into which you are bringing new beings. Precept study is lifelong. Precept study involves moment to moment atonement. 
Atonement is becoming one with, coming one with these perceived problems in the world. We actually become the solution. Becoming one with these perceived problems in the mind, we transform them. Precept study is lifelong. Please take it up. Like Thich Nhat Hanh advises, don't turn away from the suffering in the world. Stay connected to your own vows to live a compassionate life, one where all beings benefit. In this spirit, we will prepare for Fusatsu, 